0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Andrew Priestley, who is a business coach and leadership mentor focusing on people, problems, and performance, as well as the author of several best selling business books on finance, leadership, and strategy. So, welcome, Andrew.
1: Hey, welcome, Jane. Hi. We've already had a good conversation haven't we, before we <laughs> yeah. even press record, didn't we, mate? Like, so, yeah. so if you're listening in on this, we've already been chatting.
0: <laughs> well, we'll try and replicate some of that. But just yeah. as an introduction to you, Andrew, we we've known each other for a while. But um, mm. you know, just tell the listeners, you know, who you are, what your background is, and and in particular, why you're passionate about the work that you do.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I love mentoring business people, absolutely love mentoring business people. Um, I, I love solving problems. In fact, it's three things for me. It's the people, it's performance, and it's problems, right? It's that combination of those three things. And uh, when I was a kid, I loved jigsaw puzzles, absolutely. I was really good at The, the, the more pieces, the better. Uh, I loved pulling apart things. I don't know how many times I've been electrocuted trying to pull <laughs> apart a transistor radio or a toaster. right the amount of times i've been (laughs) thrown back on my bum somewhere because i got electrocuted i love fixing lawnmowers and bikes and stuff like that so i loved i love to see how things worked and then for whatever reason i'm i'm in my only journey as a running my own companies right family became really important family values became really important where i had that intersection between do i make a lot of money at the expense of my family life and i decided no i want a really good family life right Mm -hmm. and ironically i made more money by the fact that i had strong values about what i believed my needs were different but my values were very very rock solid in that sense Mm -hmm. right and i see so many people who are very ambitious who don't seem to know how to put that together they sacrifice one or the other and they don't configure it in a way and the the three things that show up to them is how do I handle people which you're you're the expert on that right yeah um uh and you've written a book on this too I have yes what's the book called (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so the book is called how to beat bedlam in the boardroom and boredom
0: in the bedroom that's it
1: yeah yeah and and I wrote a book called is this about me or is this about you for me that sort of underpins a lot of what I do which is is why are we doing this right particularly around people how am i showing up around people what what performance do i want to get out of my people what problems are we trying to solve right and so there's a bigger thing of whether let's let's solve meaningful problems let's solve problems that matter to people right Um, let's perform in ways that in in that enhances life that's what we've been chatting about um so really good at that really like yourself I, i'm probably not as good as a listener as you are because you're a fabulous listener but I, I like to think i've tried the best for a guy to actually learn how to the listening skill thing um, uh, good at problem solving good at strategy work um good at making money know how to make money know how to pull money out of thin air that sort of stuff know how to do that uh, business is quite easy for most people it, they just make it harder than it has to be Right, particularly making money piece. You know, it's not not difficult at all, really. If you can't make money in this country, where are you going? To, where else are you going to go? That where you can't. You know, you've, you know. When I was in Australia, you've got the entire Australian business population in one town. Yeah. <laughs> in this country, London, yeah. Manchester, Birmingham, yeah, you've got the everywhere. entire Australian po- business population in one town. So it's right. not hard to make a living here. Yeah.
0: So Andrew, what do you find in the times we're living in? Are people's driving problems what are people struggling most with today
1: um it's a great question it's sort of what we were talking about but it's it's i see two types of way of tackling this current current time i, I want to say this we've always had problems my grandmother lived through the spanish flu yes e- epidemic right yes um and uh, she said the strategy then was to clean everything. So when I went to see my grandmother, she was very, very house proud, right? And she would sweep her doorstep and she would wash down the rails and things like that. And I'd say, what? Damn, man, why are you doing that? She's, oh, the flu was bad. Hmm. That's how we, you know, they didn't know. They thought it was, you know, antiseptic, everything. So her house was very, very clean, right? Yes. Um, my parents lived through the Second World War, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, They then, believe it or not, lived through incredible rationing in this country right up to late, early 60s, believe it or not. Most people don't realise that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we've always gone through things, the 70s in this country. The 80s, for example, was also a challenge. So we've never had not had challenges, but this just happens to be. And we've also had a background of epidemics and flus and stuff like that. Cancer and obesity kills more people in America, for example, than COVID ever will
0: absolutely andrew right
1: um uh drug related issues kills more people here but we don't panic about that but mm. but this just has the ability to shut a lot of things down for you know for protective reasons you know it's so contagious and you've got to you've got to factor that in the other things are more self-inflicted if you like but to answer the question two types of things come out that i see there are those people who need a lot of help and those people that look for distinctions Yes. So a lot of my clients are looking for distinctions okay we've got this situation how do we sort that and my reference point would be the global financial crisis where a lot of, lot of businesses i came here in 2009 where we were just really starting to feel the impact of 2007 us right and you know that's that lingered in this country till 2014 really so it was like 7 years right so kicked off yes. in 2007 and we only got a front page thing about tax breaks in 2014 so covid folks get used to it it's going to be around for a lot longer it's not just it's not a quick win this one right i
0: agree yes so, a marathon and not a sprint
1: andrew oh <laughs> it, uh, it has to be yeah and so so the, a lot of clients i'm talking about are looking at distinctions how can we do that there's other people who feel quite helpless and we talked about they're driven by fear mm. Mm. you know it's a fear-based it's fear-based everything right everything's driven by their fear yes right?
0: so tell me a bit more about distinctions i like this idea and i know when we spoke before you said to me you know it's not about helping people it's about distinctions what's
1: yeah well in a business sense right in a business sense uh, as a bit uh, like like i started life if you like as a business coach, and the, and the idea was to go in and look at the numbers and look at the business and build the business up um, to increase the value of the business and drive the revenues, drive the profits, uh, maintain the liquidity of the business, to grow it, um, to increase its valuation, and then if you like, get it ready for an exit. That's that's what I was doing as a business coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a relatively easy process. It's very straightforward. It's not hard, and I, and I make the point make people make that harder, right? Mm. Um, what i noticed was i could come in with a plan and like you you go in you listen out of that a a strategy starts to form okay i think this is the best way forward here uh like yourself i try not to be too directive i try and get people to take some ownership of this right so uh, what should i do well what do you feel you should do we we play with that a a fair bit right because i want them to have some skin in the game as well right yeah and I could take a plan that I know works and I would give it to somebody and they'd make it work off the Richter scale and then you got other people. Same plan, similar circumstances, total fumble the ball. And I thought, well, what's the difference here? It's, it's the person, how that person comes into that situation. So I got very interested in the leadership piece. What's the difference? Same businesses, identical conditions, same environment. What's the difference between it? Right? And the ones that were the hardest work were the ones that need help. And they're looking for a massive 300% shift. They're looking for you to tell them the answers, tell them what to do. Um, uh, and there's nothing wrong with asking for help, but it's, it's, in, it's almost like they've, they've onboarded helpless. Yes. Right? And, and at the heart of it often is the language that they use or the way they frame the problem is the problem. Right. And I'm sure you know working on the wrong problem. You've found this in your career. Working on the wrong problem is the problem.
0: Yes, a lot of times. Yeah, the problem. The problem is not what people say it is, it's something else?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. What most people are describing as the situation, but not the problem. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I looked at how do people solve problems. How, do, how to how to how to firstly how do leaders work under pressure? And I'm talking if you own a business, you're a leader. But I, I was working with people in high end high-risk, high-compliance environments, life and limb places where you get it wrong. On a good day, you get fined. On a bad day, somebody dies, like the mining industry, for example, or the medical industry, right? Yes, right. Where you've got high levels of duty of care and they're working under immense pressure. Why do they work so well? If stress is an issue, why are they do they love stress? Are there something weird about them, right? So those people weren't looking for help because they had a good game, right? But the help, people who needed help, they wanted a 300% shift in all the ideas didn't want to pay much for it and didn't want to do much, right? But i found in working people who have got a really good game, usually they're just looking for a distinction. They just want a small distinction which they leverage unbelievably, Mm. which they can leverage unbelievably. So usually you're adding something to to the way they think, to the way they uh, frame the world, the way they talk about it, right? Um, This is sort of an off on a side, but the world comes at you you experience the world through your five senses. Yes. Right. And, uh, you know, what you see, what you hear, what you feel, the only way you make sense of that is through language and how you express that. Right. And that language can either be passive or it can be active language. And passive language places you at risk and it puts you in a helpless thing. And it, it gets fueled by a heightened sense of entitlement. Yes right, Uh, where this should go, the expectation, this should happen, this should go exactly the way I want it, why aren't I getting this? You know, that usually is a hallmark of of that very passive thing where helplessness drives it. I mean, I'm talking a lot here. What do you think? Am I on the right track with this?
0: I'm thinking, Andrew, as you're talking, and I expect you're very familiar with it, the difference between the Cartman drama triangle, I bet you're familiar with that, and then... um, (laughs) What what uh, I've heard referred to as the empowerment dynamic. So the Cartman drama triangle is you know, what you're expressing. Many of your clients feel like victims, you know, yeah. but they feel helpless. And so they're yeah. looking for something or someone to save them. And I, I think that's pretty much the mindset I see in society at the moment. We're all looking for someone, whether it's a politician or a leader or a big company to come in and go, it's gonna be okay, we're gonna save you. Uh, And so there's a rescuer somewhere there in that in that uh, triangle. There's a rescuer. The alternative dynamic to that is to say it's not a it's not a drama. It's a challenge. Um, And you are the creator. You're not the victim. You're the creator of your own circumstances. And what you need is a coach or a guide, which is you, Andrew or me. You know, we do that. We're not going to solve the problem for people. We're going to help them to get themselves on the right path. And, but they are the creator. They are the leader. They are the person that takes themselves forward. And I think to me, that's the big distinction we need to make now for our clients, but in society and, and for at all levels of society, right down to school children. You are the creator. You are the architect of your future, of our future. We can only do that together if we together step up. And find the way forward, and we don't yeah. look to others who we perceive as being leaders. But I, I sense these days we don't regard people as. I mean, I, I struggle to find external leaders that I admire to take us forward. It, it's us. It's up to mm-hmm. us. Mm. So I don't know what you
1: think but... um, <laughs> one. One of the things that. One of the things, uh, the Cartman triangle is a really good one. Where am I on that? You know, victim, rescuer, enabler—those those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sort of look at with a lot of people right now as this child, parent, right? Uh, well, I think that's transactional analysis, but it's child. Yeah. It's it's child. Um, for me, it's not it's child, adult, okay. right? Grown up.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And so a lot of work I do with leaders is you need to grow up mm. right you need a grown-up like when i when i take my grandson down to battersea park you know well over summer right and he says oh grandpa grandpa can we get an ice cream yeah, yeah 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 oh i haven't got any money don't worry mate grandpa's work grandpa's got it okay i got the money <laughs> this is grandpa's work right you just go your job is to go pick an ice cream that's it right and he loves being a kid right because there's a grown-up in that relationship, right? Yeah. You got it? But I've noticed that with his little brother, he'll say, don't worry, I've got it. Sweet. And his little brother lets him handle it, right? So it's yeah. not like I'm saying you've got to do this, but it's it's a lot of people I deal with, they're just not grown-ups. They're adult, which is your chronological age. Yes. Right? But they're not grown-up,
0: mm.
1: right? And I was, I was chatting with someone recently where he's parenting his parents right and you know even in Australia they've got a a, a thing which is don't parent us don't parent us at the moment that's the big cry don't parent us right but they're behaving like you know like they're either two-year-olds with a tantrum or 14-year-olds who rebellious 14-year-olds you can't tell me what to do right they're going that way it's there's no grown-ups in those protests if you know what I mean with a saying let's let's grow up a little bit
0: fascinating in terms of family dynamics Andrew because we Mm. all and one of the things I look at in 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 the course that I'm running at the moment barefoot mediation is you know where does our behavior come from because people look at the culture in their organization and unless you've defined that culture what you're sitting in is a cultural soup which has been made of all the cultures that people bring with them Mm. in other words how they've behaved in their family how they've behaved in previous workplaces how they've been treated and they just bring that and stir it all up and and so you haven't got a defined culture in your organization because you haven't gone to the trouble of defining what's how do we do things around
1: here Uh, And, and even if they do they don't buy into it yeah and i say that a lot i was i was i was on a call where this my my client was was add three of their managers there, and the way she talked to those managers was just horrific, right? Yeah. And I said, "Hang on, time out, time out to me," because I looked at their website and they've got our values is respect. I said, "Time out." I said, "There's no respect here in this conversation, right?" Um, so I think either, either let's let's just get rid of that off your website because it's not true. Is that yeah? That's the real issue here. There's no respect, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's another thing, Jane, which is you'll be talking to people. And there's a presupposition that it's it's going to be easy. Mm. And in actual fact, I was listening to a a couple of people talk out a problem the other day, and I said, um, and this is an opinion shared with a colleague of mine too, do you understand it's not easy? This is actually difficult, what you're trying to fix. And, you know, I'm I'm psych trained, and so there's a a fallacy of looking for one cause and one fix, and it's usually multi-causal and lots of reasons. And that's that's a, a bias which makes which is just designed to make you more upset if you're looking for the one cause. Why is my life so bad? You're looking for one thing, no? It's unless you've had a really severe trauma, yeah. But even then, you know, you can still say, well, how do I want to? How do I choose to make what make that mean? You know, so there's a lot of language plays a big part in that.
0: Yeah, it's, it reminded me of uh, of a more holistic approach to medicine as well, you know, where you look for the one disease and you think, n- n- no, it's like, where did the disease land? You know, what was going on in your body before? Had you not been yeah, looking after yeah, yourself? You're yeah, not yeah. been sleeping, eating well, because, yeah. that's, uh, you know, there's lots of other causes there. Yes, a virus has landed in your body, but you weren't fit to start with.
1: Yeah. Well, well, COVID apparently really likes really overweight obese people. Yes. But there's the very reason. The reason why you're susceptible is your immune system's then because you're over. You're morbidly obese. For a yeah. start off, you're just not coping. You're not designed. Uh, I, I looked at a lot of Alzheimer's, for example, and uh, in one of the thing that just goes through all of that research is they're dehydrated. Oh they
0: really? Just,
1: yes. They don't drink enough water. The brain. The brain runs on water.
0: Yes. Sugar's the other so, thing for Alzheimer's. High, high blood sugar. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, again,
0: we're sort of always looking for this miracle drug for it. Actually, yeah. look within yourself because there's probably the yeah. answer. Yeah. That. Yeah.
1: So, so tell me this: you're you're really good at handling difficult people, yeah? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why on earth do you want to work with difficult people? Tell me, this is fascinating fascinates <laughs> me. Why did you choose to a career that involves working with difficult people?
0: I think you know they're defined by other people as difficult. I find them just interesting. I find, uh, you know, I, 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 well, it happened to me at work I, as a lawyer. People would say, "Oh, you deal with this client; we find them difficult or challenging." And I would, I would find I could connect with that person. I don't yeah. know why, on some level, perhaps I, perhaps I'm challenging myself. <laughs> but we would find a level on which we connected, a personal level on which we connected, and then the work became easy. So I think this you know, what's important is that you find a level on which you can connect with people and that that is so important. It isn't, you know, yes, we have to work with, and one of the things we've lost the art of during the last few months is this really ability to connect with people, because I think it's much harder to connect on screen than it is when you're in a room with people and you can really, really, you know, engage, you can look at them in the eyes. I'm loving at the moment. My daughter is sending me, this is a bit of an aside, but I've got two granddaughters and the newest one is 12 weeks old and her sister about to be three. And there's something about her that she sent me a picture yesterday. She will look at this child. She will look at the baby right in the eyes. She's holding her head and and she she wants to look in her eyes and looking at people, really looking into them. One of my one of my friends and my mastermind colleagues, Chris Akabusi, he says, don't look up to people, look into them. And I love that. I love that idea. I have to look into someone. What are you about? What makes you tick? I need to know that. Yes, we're doing a job and, you know, we've got to solve your problem or buy your house or solve your legal. Problem. But what about you? Who are you? Who am I dealing with? That that matters, I think.
1: Yeah, But I, I think in your case, you get the dopamine running where you go, oh, I'm looking forward to this interesting. Well, you introduced me as interesting. I'm just wondering if that means I was difficult, right? <laughs> right? I'm just wondering. But the dopamine is is the expectation is going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a challenge. I'm looking forward to this, right? Yes. But I think the eye contact thing is about oxytocin. It, it is triggers hard. it. It's, it's the bonding thing. When you look into yes. someone. Yes. You, you trigger you do and that's hard to it's it's harder to trigger on this thing but you also when you get in a room and um I, I was chatting with someone the other day about uh she's a specialist in online dating she said well people are meeting in zoom rooms but then when they meet in person they don't like each other because the <laughs> pheromones don't work yes. <laughs> so they've got the oxytocin having but the pheromones are saying no this ain't gonna work (laughs) fascinating
0: but a colleague of mine a very well-known mediator called ken cloak he's written a whole paper called bringing oxytocin into the room so how do you bring it into a situation of conflict (laughs) and enable people to build up their oxytocin it is this bonding hormone it's interesting and it's fascinating to see you know who gets that and who doesn't so
1: yeah yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's connecting with people I think is pretty easy you just look at them you just look make eye contact surely. Yeah. And then the mirror hormones kick in, you know, the the mirror neurons fire up and you start reflecting back, and so oh,
0: and there is a there is a there is a dating experiment where you do you know you do spend a lot of time deliberately, mate. Even if you do it deliberately, and that's the interesting thing. Even if you do some of these things deliberately, you're still creating the connection. You know, if you if you do spend a, an inordinate amount of time looking into someone's eyes, it can feel <laughs> a bit uncomfortable. But if you're both wanting to do that, and you're both willing, yeah, to do it, yeah, there you yeah. Are. So, yeah. You know, yes, some of these techniques that we that we learn in terms of communication can come across as a bit phony if you if you use them deliberately. So you have to be yeah. You know how how you do that, but I genuinely am fascinated by people, and I know you are too, Andrew.
1: You yeah, are. yeah. I love people. I love people. What is I it? I really do. Um, uh, you know, I've made a lot of a lot of mistakes in my life, and I wouldn't want people to have experienced some of the mistakes I've made, right? Particularly in business, right? And so there's that sort of like uh, I try and take a very loving, tough love approach with people, but a very loving approach with my clients about you know. What do you really think about this? What are your values? And and I can tell you what to do, but that's not as important as saying what do you value about this. I'm suggesting something. How does that land with you, right? And it might be that the outcome has got nothing to do with what I suggest, or what you think it might be. It might be something quite ridiculous. It might be, but but it it sits right for them, you know, it sits right for them, and that that fascinates me. That, that really fascinates, particularly that connection piece. How do you get connection with a difficult person? How do you make someone connect with you? You've got a difficult person and they're, they're there because they're, they think it's a contest, someone's got to win, someone's got to lose and you're sending a mediator. How do you connect with them?
0: You know that's reminding me of a mediation i went into very early in my career and you know one of the things we do is set the scene for the meeting so you you give some kind of introductory statement and one of the parties to my mediation just sat back in his chair pulled his chair back away from the table folded his arms and stared at the ceiling in other words uh you know i'm not here i'm not connecting i don't feel comfortable and the thing, the thing about that was to think, what's going on for him? Why does he feel uncomfortable? You know, I could have challenged him and said, look, you know, we're all, we're all, we're all here today to, you know, are you engaged in this meeting or something? That doesn't work, actually. That just put him on the defensive. And I think we may have taken some time out, but I explored a little bit, you know, like, why do you feel uncomfortable today? What's what's going on for you? What's really going on? And, and then, then there was a deep seated reason why he felt extremely uncomfortable at the beginning of that meeting, but once I'd allowed him to explore that, to articulate it, to, to you know, to explain what I was trying to do, then he was you know completely different. But his immediate reaction was to be like, I, I feel very, I feel very vulnerable. I think. I think a lot of people's behavior does come from what we were talking about Andrew fear and vulnerability fear and vulnerability and although someone and this guy actually turned out I think he was an uh, uh, you know he was involved in arms dealing at some level so quite a sort of you know hard-bitten character you, and you think therefore this is a tough guy but not tough vulnerable full of fear couldn't express it so behaving in a in a in a defensive and aggressive way but when you look underneath there's a reason for that mm. and, and not embarrassing him in front of the whole of the rest of the meeting by saying come on step up you know <laughs> behave mm.
1: yeah, um yeah. Was the
0: answer yeah. um always different i think you just have to explore with each individual what's actually going on under the circuit. so
1: so when you get in a situation like that do you sort of do you sort of put some permissions in place is it okay if i ask you what's going on Do you, how do you how do you create that
0: yeah well I, I, i'm trying to think back because this is a long time ago i i think i think we just took a short break and i would have had a cup of coffee with him and said you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I noticed that you know so yeah, i noticed yeah. that you you know you you feel a bit uncomfortable you weren't engaging in the meeting you know and try and just tease it out of him I, and yeah yeah
1: I, I, was in a, I was in a meeting, uh, I was coaching a guy on sales, right, and, and most of the coaching I do in that area is big-ticket, multi-step. So it's not not little sales. These are, you know, a lot of steps and a lot of money involved, right? And um, so we did a lot of talking about the product and the benefits and all that sort of thing, and we, then we felt we're ready to go into a negotiation, right? And um, my guy opens his book and he starts doing his pitch, and we'll call him Bill at the other end of the table, right? Um, We're listening to the pitch, and Bill does this. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, similar thing, yeah.
1: Right, looks at the watch, right? (laughs) And my guy starts to pull his pitch, right? What would you do in that situation? If you're an observer, what do you do? Do you intervene? Do Do you let it go through to the key? What do you do?
0: I... And it always depends andrew i don't i don't always intervene but sometimes the intervention is something like i i just i noticed you just looked at your watch you know is there a. you know you just you just comment on what you see what am i seeing what am i yeah what am i seeing what am i hearing and just yeah. just saying i noticed that you know what does that mean or what do you think
1: always. you're good you're good, you're good.
0: <laughs> what the power the thing is <laughs> two things, I talk about the power of 10 being tentative, I'm wondering what I'm seeing, not yeah, yeah. being tough with people, I'm just curious. Uh, and then always giving power back, always giving the last word to the other person and going, what do you think? Or what's your comment on this rather than, yeah, you yeah. know, putting them in a difficult situation and going, you know, well, that's unacceptable? Or will you step up yeah, to the yeah. plate or whatever? Yeah because that's when people will withdraw or they'll try and sabotage you and people will always try and sabotage your efforts if they if you've embarrassed them
1: and no one wants to lose face
0: no exactly so yeah exactly that always enabling people to have the last mm. word and therefore save face I think.
1: the dilemma i was in was it was a big deal it was about a quarter of a million right and i'm thinking as a coach and i'm not there in official capacity i was there just as an observer to see how he got on right i thought oh, is it my place to intervene and say something right because i'm thinking i'm watching this deal go down the drain my guys wrapping up now you can take an approach of well okay university of life uh, we'll walk out of that meeting no deal what did you learn but that's a very that's like fourteen university degrees you just got there, right? It cost of ten university degrees maybe, right? Or maybe three. I don't know what the price of university degree is today. But okay. but um, I went through this thing where I'm going, God, do I say something or not? I was really in that moment, really conflicted. Do I do I intervene because I'm, I'm watching a deal go right, mm-hmm. and uh, and my guy's packing up. He's wrapping the deal up, right? And it's funny what you just said because that's that was the approach I took. I, I said, um, Bill, I noticed you looked at your watch. What's going through your mind? That's all I said to him.
0: Exactly.
1: Right? Um, when I debriefed with my guy before, uh, afterwards, I said, what went through your mind at that moment? Because he, he, clearly he saw what happened and he said, oh, well, I thought I'm, I've lost him. I, I, I um, You know, he's not interested. He's got to be somewhere else. That's everything he's adding to that situation. And so a lot of times when I'm talking with people, particularly, you know, exec leaders and stuff, I, they, they make a lot of meaning out of stuff that's actually not there. They're bringing meaning to that negotiation or that to that conversation yeah. instead of saying, I noticed you looked at your watch. Well, the guy goes, well, as a matter of fact, he said, I was looking at my watch. He said, because I've got a little date a date calendar on here. <laughs> <laughs> it tells me the date and i know we've got a big check coming and I, i'm i'm liking what i'm hearing but i don't think your guy wants to sell to me anymore right so he was experiencing it too he's he looked at his watch and the guy starting to run, and he he thought oh, maybe we're not big enough as a client for you guys yes yes
0: yes right so yes. so that
1: that your mediation role you've got to it's almost like you're an air traffic controller for those sort of dynamics aren't you
0: that's a, good, that's a good analogy, Andrew. Yeah, air traffic controller, I remember that. So I guess what I'd like to do is sort of think what, of all the things we've just talked about, Andrew, what, how do we summarise that? And how do we, what is What is a message for people today in the times we're living in, you know, we're living in a time which is full of fear. We're living with a crisis that we don't see the end of. And yet, life and business goes on. So, what do you draw from our conversation that helps people find the way forward and find the leader within themselves to to do that?
1: Yeah, that's such a that's such a great question. Actually, I mean, it's something I thought a lot about. Uh, my work, my work with in the leadership space, is about working with people's awareness, right? Yeah. And awareness is a very real thing on a mining site, for example. Get, if your awareness isn't working, someone's going to die. They're going to get injured or they're going to die if you ignore your awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And it can be very, very subtle. And mo- most of us are not trained to attend closely to what's going on for us, right? So the guy that does this, right, yeah. his awareness is working perfectly, but he's not attending to that in a, in a way that is serves the purpose of why you've called the meeting, right? And but he's but at temporarily it, it took you to get him to climb down off the ceiling for him to then re engage back into that thing, right? So I guess and I'm dealing with people who've got very, very serious challenges, but it's to slow that game down and and I'm asking them just okay, what's your awareness telling you need to do right now? And it can be really, really mundane little things like um uh let's see if we can let's see if we can do a twist on our business or let's before you do that maybe we should go out and ask people if they want a twist on the business right and it's sort of slowing the game down a little bit mm-hmm. so that it's not as reactive because i see a lot of reactivity right and a lot of that's where the stress comes in where you overreact instead of responding to what's happening you're reacting to what's and yeah. You know, so I think a takeaway for me is, firstly, it's good to understand that, that uh, our default position for most people is to react, right? And a lot of what you're doing, what I'm doing professionally, is getting people to pause and slow down and notice, okay, you looked at your watch or you're staring at the ceiling. And, there's a you know, all behaviour is purposeful, right? And it's, and it's resourceful, but it's not always appropriate. Right? and that's what gets in the way of of moving forward and so a lot of my clients the ones that want distinctions I'd say go for distinctions and that means you've got to examine yourself a little bit more you've got to slow what's going on for me and so a lot of my uh I had a client the other day said what the hell did we just talk about for the last 90 minutes it was really good but what did we just talk about right awesome. yeah right? and and he, I said well how do you feel he said I actually feel really empowered why he said uh because I actually took the time to slow down and talk it through and unpack it. Yes. Even though the outcome is the same, the context is different. My, the way I'm approaching this is now different. In what way? I, I just feel more grounded, more stable, right? I'm in more of a space where I can listen to people or be open to this or I can I can uh, contain their fears, right? Um, parenting is about containing. You know, you know that. You, yeah. With little children, you contain it.
0: I do remember that, and actually now with grandchildren, I'm relearning it. Andrew. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. My 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 son said to me, "I don't," know. he said. It just annoys me. He said these kids are just monsters. Well, they're not really. He said they they just play He said when you get around, they just go go quiet. They go all quiet. They do whatever you say, right? But it's 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 a container. Yeah, it's like in business, you're a good container. For that mediation, I think, is you create a a context or a containment.
0: Yes, you do. Don't
1: you? You must. Yeah. What do you take? I'm doing all the talking.
0: No. Well, I mean, I I do. Yes. And I like to summarise. And in any event, we, <laughs> we need to wrap up shortly. But um, I, I, I like the idea that, you know, we are and we need to find space, self-awareness and then time to reflect. And I think yeah. you know, when we are in fear, obviously we are in fight or flight then. And so our brain takes over and 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 goes into overdrive so i think when we understand that i can say no what i need is i need to step back i need some space i need and maybe i need a buddy or someone to i mean i have found online groups and and people that i'm uh, able to discuss things with really really powerful you know start the morning with a focus group and and that is just a space to a space it's a space to reflect Mm. uh and 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 maybe we're just not taking the time or the space to reflect and be self-aware in the circumstances we're in so those my my takeaway andrew
1: i i i agree with you on the space thing and also to language again is a big is an important thing for me and when people talk about fear, right? I've been in fearful situations, right? In fear of my life. I told you before we started this. I worked, you know, as a volunteer fireman, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're surrounded by fire, that's a that is something to be afraid of, right? Because mm-hmm. it's right in your face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anxiety is thinking I'm going to a fire and it could get out of control. What if it gets out of control? And right now, most people say I'm afraid, I'm in fear, but there's nothing fearful right in front of them in their face. It's more the anxiety. And I'm dealing with a lot of execs where the proposition is more of a what if proposition, which is driving anxiety. It's not actual fear of something. Do you get it? And it's to draw that distinction.
0: Yeah. Another distinction. So Andrew, it, it Two things. How can people contact you if they want to, if they would appreciate knowing more about your work? Where do they find you?
1: Um, LinkedIn, easy. Just search me on LinkedIn or andrewpreece.com. But LinkedIn's most, I connect with a lot of people on LinkedIn uh, for a variety of reasons. Amazon, just search my name on Amazon. You'll you'll see see the books that I've written on there. But LinkedIn's probably the best way, yeah. Absolutely. or, Or you know, you might see me out walking with my dog, you know, I just can't say hello. <laughs> you know. There's that guy called Andrew that we heard. <laughs> that guy, Andrew, oh, yeah, yeah. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: what would your final, you know, what would a final couple of words be to listeners, Andrew?
1: Uh, my final word is this, if, if you've got someone you love, look them in the eye and give them a hug and, and connect, right? Right now, you just need nothing beats a hug. I don't care what series you get, nothing beats hanging out with people you love, giving them a hug, spending time with them, you know, value them, really, really value them. You know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of people who can't connect with their family, they can't travel, they can't get to see them. And I know as a grandparent, not being able to see my grandkids for six to eight weeks just the mere pleasure of just being in their company and giving them a hug, right? So if you've got someone, you know, if you're happy to let your face know, if you've got someone nearby who, you know, I need to give them a hug and connect, I would do that. That's a really nice place to start.
0: Fabulous, <laughs> Andrew, and I completely agree with you. Thank you, Andrew Priestley, for being my guest today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series and if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis and download a PDF copy of my book How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom please go to janegun.co.uk slash video The link is in the show notes